0: However, in our story today, we find a few famous cultural idioms that are based on a historical account just like that. Handwriting appeared on the wall. Well, today we're going to continue our study in Daniels. we look at chapter 5, verses 1 through 16. And we're talking about a new king that uh, had a really bad history ending to his life. We're not going to get to his ending yet today, but we're going to be looking at some of the principles in his life as well as Daniel's, and we're going to talk about how to avoid a bad ending. Have you ever invested yourself into a novel that you were really into, or maybe there was a particular movie you liked, and all of a sudden your, your mind throughout the whole book or the whole show, you were guessing of how it was going to end. You hoped that th- this couple ended up together or this bad guy was taken out or that some kind of tension was resolved and all of us have read a book or seen a show and as the credits begin to roll uh, we are sitting there going what (laughs) how did this happen or maybe not all of the information we wanted occurred or maybe the writer wanted us to sort of figure out how some of the tension could be or might be resolved but sometimes it's frustrating when in our minds, there's a bad ending. Well, none of us want to have a, so to speak, bad ending in life. And we're going to see some principles today from this very relevant story to our lives about how to avoid a bad ending. See, last week we ended up looking at chapter 4 and saw Nebuchadnezzar's conversion, so to speak, when God Humbled him greatly and then restored his kingdom to him. Chapter 5 is about 23 years difference between chapter 4. And Nebuchadnezzar has passed away. And there, historically we know that there was three or four different kings that were in and out of uh, leadership in Babylon very quickly. And most of them were very wicked kings. And our king today in, in this passage is called Belshazzar. And there's a little bit of historical question as to whether he, Belshazzar is another name for Nabonidus or if uh, he is the son of a historical king called Nabonidus. But regardless, he's referred to in uh, the Bible as Belshazzar, likely like most kings had, was another name that he went by. Well, let's begin reading and get uh, the first four verses Of Daniel chapter 5 as we talk about how to avoid a bad ending King Belshazzar gave a great banquet for a thousand of his nobles and drank wine with them while Belshazzar was drinking his wine he gave orders to bring in the gold and silver goblets that Nebuchadnezzar his father had taken from the temple in Jerusalem so that the kings and nobles his wives and concubines might drink from them So they brought in the gold goblets that had been taken from the temple of God in Jerusalem, and the king and his nobles and his wives and his concubines drank from them. And as they drank the wine, they praised the gods of gold and silver, of bronze and iron, wood and stone. So the king throws a wild beer and wine bash. Uh, There seems to be, uh, we, we find out at the end of this passage that during this party, that the Medes, a warring neighboring nation, were on the heels of Babylon. And there's some question as to whether Belshazzar knew this or whether he was not aware. It makes sense to me that he was aware but avoiding it. And that he went ahead and partied because he either thought, what does it matter? If they're gonna get us, they're gonna get us. Or maybe he had a lot of confidence in the great walls that surrounded the city. Regardless, from the type of festivity that he's engaging in on this fateful night, we learned the first principle about how to avoid a bad ending, and that's number one on your outline, and that's this. Stop running from reality. Oftentimes, God is trying to get our attention, and he's sort of Closing in on us. It was interesting last week several people that I ran into said to me, you know pastor I think that God is pointing out that I have a problem with pride in my life based on the sermon We looked at about pride from Nebuchadnezzar And 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 sometimes God begins to show us something in our life that we didn't realize that we were struggling with if we're wise We respond with humility and repentance and a deeper spiritual commitment. But sometimes when we realize there's a sin in our life that's offensive to God Almighty, we begin to tune Him out. And we don't want to deal with spiritual reality. We'd like to pretend it weren't true, or that if it were true, maybe I won't have consequences for it. Now, there's four different ways in this passage that Belshazzar tried to tune out reality, and some of them we struggle with as well. The first one, A under number one, is turning to substances. It says that he threw a party for a thousand nobles and he drank wine with them. Now, it was very uncouth. It wasn't that kings didn't drink wine, but it was almost unheard of them to drink in this manner in public, because it was, to, it was thought to be beneath regal dignity to engage in heavy alcohol consumption in public. And so he is taking out social graces, throwing them out the window, and just trying to forget about the problems in his kingdom, and apparently having one glass of wine after another. And this is a very big temptation for our culture. There are records of drug addiction and alcohol abuse in our country and in many places around the world, and it seems to be an area where the enemy is having a heyday. It's not that the Bible inherently condemns Uh, wine as intrinsically evil, although there is much negative saying about the abuse of alcohol and that wine in Proverbs chapter 20 verse 1 makes a mocker out of us. It plays us for the fool many times. But we realize that it's a mind-altering substance, alcohol is, and a gateway often for many harder drugs. And one of the things that it does to us, it begins to put sort of a craving in our life to help us forget about sometimes pain that's physical and sometimes pain that's emotional or maybe a a spiritual conviction we're trying to block out and then oftentimes the enemy has us because of the pull that a mind-altering substance begins to have on our life and there's often a connection between substance abuse and foolishness. Have you ever talked to someone that said, "Uh, oh, I can't believe I said that." Or, "I can't believe I did that, but I was drunk and I didn't know what I was doing." There's a one of the reasons why we're always called to avoid abuse of alcohol and especially other substances like that is because it leads us to regret and foolishness. All of a sudden, we're not governing our actions, but the substance itself is ruling us. And so my encouragement is to is to stay as far away as you can from a propensity to abuse these mind-altering substances, and your life will be the better for it. I would like to say, however, that if you find yourself struggling with addiction, that I'm grateful to the Lord to say that our church can help you with that struggle. Many of you know that our Christian care center has a, a, a home for men and women that struggle with addiction, and it would be our joy to help you with that struggle. But I, I want to point out that it's one of the main ways that we begin to avoid spiritual reality. Another way that Belshazzar began Tuning out the reality in his life, B, and his guest is through sexual sin. In verse 2 and in verse 4, right next to the word wives, the nobles, their wives, and it says the word concubines. And of course, we can't relate specifically to the word concubine in our culture, but it was a woman who was in many cases a voluntary slave and sometimes not so voluntary, but a, a slave to a man primarily for the purpose of a man's sexual pleasure. Oftentimes, a wealthy leader would sort of inherit a concubine through some deal or through some treaty, but it certainly wasn't anything that God condoned. And and so there's alcohol flowing and there's concubines presence. Some say there may have been some sexual sin going on at the particular party. Regardless, there was an atmosphere of sexual immorality. And along with alcohol abuse, it seems like nothing tunes out reality deeper and more consistency in our own lives than abuse of God's gift of sex that he reserved exclusively for marriage between man and a woman. We take the precious gift and we abuse it before we begin the covenant of marriage, and it creates distrust and a harvest of pain. And oftentimes that gift of sexual intimacy is even breached in the context of marriage with extra marital affairs, and our life begins to crumble when we engage in a breaking and breaching of that covenant but it's one of the ways for us to sort of avoid realities that we should be dealing with rather than succumbing to now what we note also in verse two is the third way that we avoid reality oftentimes and this is simply put c under number one foolish decisions some of you are going, well, I'm not really a big alcohol person, and I try not to engage in sexual sin. Well, I got you on letter C then. How do you like that? All of us have done foolish things, and oftentimes we see them fueled by alcohol and sexual sin. It's basically like they were partying like crazy, and then maybe someone whispered to the king, hey, king, why don't we spice this thing up? You remember those... Uh, goblets and the chalices that your grandpa nabbed from those Jewish folks uh, during that captivity. I I think I saw them in a room somewhere nearby. Why don't we go and get them? Wouldn't that just be a hoot? They're they're so nice. And and maybe it it would just sort of spice things up than these old uh, things we're always drinking out of. Well, for whatever reason, whatever the motivation, he snapped his fingers and the precious Uh, chalices uh, that were used that were dedicated as holy to the lord and the temple of the lord were now being brought in to a drunken royal party to be used as a uh, item of mockery one of the foolish most foolish things he could have ever done and foolishness abounds in our day and we don't think through what we're doing and we live on a real small screen TV and rather than God's large picture, we can see the consequences of our actions. It's interesting, I don't think that Belshazzar said, you know what, I want to engage in brazen blasphemy and sacrilege. That wasn't his thinking initially. He was just probably wanting to appease his guests, maybe show off a little bit about the things he had taken and how much power he had. And all of a sudden, he got carried away. In verse 4, we read that as they drank the wine, they praised the gods of gold and silver, bronze, iron, wood, and stone. Yes, they were polytheists in Babylon, but as they took the items from the temple that were dedicated for the worship of the one true God in their drunken state they began to say hey as they held them up and said we want to praise the God of gold the God of silver that's our God and they were basically saying that Yahweh the one true God the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ is subservient to these fake gods that we're calling out in our stupor well god would not stand for it i want to just simply point out this morning that if you're running from reality the lord wants to bring you back into a spiritual humility where you look to him and oftentimes when we persist and not clinging to him and looking to him he shakes up the scene that he might get our attention and he did so in a way that's one of the more dramatic ways in Scripture. In verse 5, we see these chilling words Suddenly, the fingers of a human hand appeared and wrote on the plaster of the wall near the lampstand in the royal palace. The king watched the hand as it wrote. We find out next week the message that was written, the message of basically pending doom. But all of a sudden, in verse 6, it says, His face turned pale as he was so frightened that his knees knocked together and his legs gave way. Wow. Do you blame him for that response? I think if we were to see such a divine miracle but it wasn't a miracle where you were standing in awe. It wasn't the feeding of the 5,000 where you're like, wow. It wasn't the walking on the water. It was eerie. Uh, and there, now, this may have been the, the quickest sobriety in the history of the world. I was at a gas station the other day, and I saw something called, you know, sobriety pack. You're supposed to, after you drink as much as you want, you're supposed to take this out, put it in water, and all of a sudden, you're sober. Well, all you really need is to see handwriting on the wall, and then, boom. Then you're completely sober all of a sudden well his knees were knocking do you ever remember being that afraid the, the most afraid i can ever remember being as a kid growing up was when i was like five or six years old and my family went to the mall a large mall with some other family friends And the family friends were some senior adults that were dear friends of our family. And I loved them, and they loved me. And my parents went to another place with my sisters, and they were watching me, this dear older couple. Well, I was kind of a wiry, bouncy kid, and I was bouncing over here to this store, and they were kind of slow walking in this way. And all of a sudden, I looked up, and I didn't see them. And I didn't see anybody I knew. (laughs) And maybe you've had, all I remember, I'm really grateful for this, I was near a bakery, and I had the sense to walk into the bakery. And they saw this crying little boy, and they stuck a donut in my face, and I was fine pretty soon. They asked for my parents' name, and they called out on the loudspeaker and told them where I was. But I remember that moment where I was thinking, Everything I know that is normal and good and safe is all of a sudden gone. And maybe that's a a bit of the degree that Belshazzar had. My safety was in my parents, his safety was in his power, was was in his influence and his wealth and his reign. And all of a sudden, God said, I have had enough. This is over. And he wrote words of pending doom. And and one of the ways we can learn to avoid a bad ending is also number two on your outline, and that's this, to learn to give your fear to God. Belshazzar is, is basically giving certainty to a bad ending because he is doing anything but turning to the one true God that he's deeply offended. It's almost like history continues to repeat itself Amidst all the powerful kings, in verse seven, it says the king called out for the enchanters, astrologers, and diviners. He brought and he said to the wise men of Babylon, "Whoever reads this writing and tells me what it means will be clothed in purple and have a gold chain placed around his neck, and he'll be made the third highest ruler in the kingdom." Now we've we've seen that several times already in the book of Daniel, haven't we? There's something that bothers someone, and they're filled with either questions. Or with fear, this case had to be the most afraid person we've ever seen in the Bible up to this point. And his idea was to bring in the devil's workers. Was was to bring in people that can give maybe uh, holy guesses as far as he's concerned or unholy guesses. And verse 8, then it says, Then all the king's wise men came in, but they could not read the writing or tell the king what it meant. Well, of course that's the case. It can't be done. But we continue to try to find other ways to deal with our fear. When fear comes upon us, sometimes we turn up the volume in life. Maybe we want to be constantly around people or or constantly have a television on or a radio blaring or constantly busy ourselves with something so that we don't have to deal with fears rationally. We sort of think, if I can push my fears away, maybe they'll go away. Or maybe I maybe i can find some worldly way to help me deal with my fears like the king did that day i was recently talking to my mother and while she was having her car worked on and she was reading the newspaper there was a lady next to her that asked if she could borrow the section that had the horoscopes and my mother said well certainly and so she gave her the newspaper and and uh, the lady read her horoscope and then gave back the paper to mom. And mom looked at her and said, Excuse me, I have a question. Are you looking for wisdom from the horoscope? And it was kind of, well, I, I don't know. And mom said, do you mind if I share with you how I have come to know God's peace in my life? And they're both sitting there waiting on the cars. And so mom drew out the little illustration about how Jesus is the bridge to life and how he can give us the hope of eternal life. And this lady didn't end up coming to know Christ that day, but it's interesting to me how many people are looking to something like a horoscope for guidance in this fearful life rather than turning to Christ who is our hope. And what happens is the same thing that happened to this king after bringing in the soothsayers, after bringing in the astrology page, it says in verse 9, so King Belshazzar became even more terrified, and his face grew more pale, and his nobles were baffled. I'm going to point out under number two this morning that dealing with fear the world's way only increases fear, and if you want to be completely ruled by fear, then ignore truth and try to deal with it the world's way. But we never get free from that uh, crippling fear that nags in our soul until we turn to God. Matter of fact, fear can actually be a great friend. David said in Psalm 56, 56 3, when I'm afraid, I will trust in you. Well, mom comes in To save the day. How often has that happened? Uh, So many times there's a, a mom that was nearby but wasn't involved in the shenanigans who comes in to offer a great word of hope. It says this, the queen, hearing the voices of the king and his nobles, came into the banquet hall. Most feel that this woman was not the wife of Belshazzar but likely the queen mother who would have been the daughter of Nebuchadnezzar. Oh, live forever, she said. Don't be alarmed. Don't look so pale. There is a man in your kingdom who has the spirit of the holy gods in him. In the time of your father, he was found to have inside intelligence and wisdom like that of the gods. King Nebuchadnezzar, your father, your father the king, I say, appointed him chief of the magicians, enchanters, astrologers, and diviners. All of a sudden, She has a great idea. Let's call in the retired guy that really seemed to know God. And and, and one of the ways this can help us as we seek to avoid to have a bad ending in life is principle number three on your outline today, and that's to seek the right help. When trouble comes, it's often multiplied when we seek the wrong help. Oftentimes, when we're going through a difficulty, we call our most foolish friends who give us foolish advice. Or, or maybe, in, in that moment of difficulty, we want someone to merely sympathize or rubber stamp our wrong conclusions, and so we call up them to come and give us Aid. Or maybe we're extremely lonely because of our fearful situation and in a vulnerable state we call up someone to help us deal and medicate with our loneliness and then we become in more and, more and more trouble. We have to learn to call the right help which is of course ultimately God but it's also those who know God is who we want to call in our time of trouble to keep us from having a bad ending. Where was Daniel, we might say, during these 23 years? Most say that when King Nebuchadnezzar left, the new wicked kings of Babylon sort of cleaned house, and Daniel, we might say, was basically in retirement. There was nothing left in his homeland for him to go back to, so to speak. He'd lived in this culture long enough, and he was basically waiting on the Lord, probably seeking the Lord, wondering in his mid-80s what God wanted him to do. And Now he is called upon. Well, it it reminds us of a great principle also that verse 12 uh, mentions to us. It said, this man Daniel, whom the king called Belteshazzar, was found to have a keen mind and knowledge and understanding, and also the ability to interpret dreams, explain riddles, and solve problems. Call for Daniel, and he'll let you know what the writing means. Well, the fourth principle this morning about avoiding a bad ending is simply this, to invest in character. If you noted the description that she gave him, it was that he had character. He walked with gods. He had the spirit of the holy gods in him. I remember when I was a kid, I would see my dad, and we'd go to the bank, and I'd see him uh, deposit some money, and uh, he was talking to the banker about something called CDs, and uh, in the 80s, you could probably get 5 or 6 or sometimes more percent on a credit deposit at a bank. And I remember asking Dad, how much do you have to have to get a CD? And he told me, well, the minimum is $100. So when I was a teenager or maybe 11 or 12 years old, I got up and $100 and I got my own CD. And I couldn't wait for, to see how much return I got. Well, when I... Uh, I remember trying to get a CD a few years ago and I asked about how much return I had. And essentially I found out that you sort of lose money uh, if you have a a CD uh, in the current banking setting. Well, the the, the issue in our day is what's a good investment? And many uh, great advisors will tell you, invest in this, invest in that. I want to tell you this morning, if you want to avoid a bad ending, you need to invest in character Belshazzar appears to have led his life making poor investments investments in the enemy's ways investing in the world's ways investing in bad character and bad company and all of a sudden at the end of his life it's the return is coming back to him but Daniel had done The right thing. He'd invested in the ways of God. He'd invested in his relationship with God. And we find the Proverb 22 1 that a good name is better than great riches. Belshazzar had a lot of riches, but Daniel had a good name or a good character, and he was cashing it out and experiencing God's faithfulness and fruitfulness in his life at this point. One other way we learn to avoid a bad ending is simply to be ready. We read in verse 13, so Daniel was brought up before the king. Can you imagine, Daniel, someone went to him and said, by the way, Daniel, the king will see you. He may not have heard those words in years. He'd heard him time and time and again when he was younger. For 23 years, likely, he'd been just waiting, seeking the Lord. And maybe some of you are here, and you're sort of waiting for that opportunity for God to use you. If you want to avoid a bad ending, you've got to have that spirit of readiness. Under number five, like Daniel, we need to be ready for action whenever and wherever God calls us. Is there a spirit of readiness in you? Are you ready to invest in character rather than the ways of the world? Are you ready to seek the right help and give your fears to the Lord and quit avoiding reality? This chilling story can actually be a powerful antidote in your life from caving in to this world's ways. I'd like us to take a moment as we reflect on this powerful story and spend a moment in our response to God. As we bow before him, what is God's word saying to you today? Have you ever come to the place in your life where you've personally received Christ? Are you still dealing with that or maybe even putting it off? This morning the scripture tells us, whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Living God, we thank you for the story. We thank you for your handwriting on the wall. Lord, usually an idiom in our culture for impending doom. Today, let it be a reminder for hope that we can avoid a bad ending by turning to you. Have your own way in our midst. In Christ's wonderful name we pray, amen.